Let's take it from Paul's letter to the Romans. And we will read, beginning at chapter 7, verse 1, through chapter 8, verse 17. Romans 7, beginning in verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may be also glorified with him. So far, our scripture reading. Let's sing in response from Psalm 31, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Our text this morning is the first verse of Romans chapter 8, where we read these glorious words, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In response to the proclamation of the gospel, we will sing... Our Amen from Hymn 35, stanzas 1 through 4. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sure you will agree with me that reading through Romans chapter 7 resonates in our hearts. We can understand what Paul is saying. I want to do the right thing. But so often I don't. And I don't want to do the wrong thing, but so often I do. That resonates with us. Because we're all that way, aren't we? There's always this struggle in us between the old nature and the new nature. And that struggle will continue until the day that Christ returns or until the Lord Jesus calls us home to be with him. Well, reading through this is also an incentive for us to take stock of where we're at. And it's a good thing to do that. In fact, we are called to do that, not only the week before we celebrate Lord's Supper, but on a regular basis. And of course, that probably leaves us being a little bit nervous, right? 
We read the law again this morning. And we read in Romans 7 how the law accuses us, makes us aware of our sins. When we examine our lives in the light of the law, we don't always see such a good thing, do we? And besides, there's our own conscience that accuses us. And when we listen to the accusation of the law and the accusation of our own conscience, we're confronted with a rather unpleasant picture. And when we look back at our own lives yesterday, this past week, or the weeks and the months in the past, we might easily get disappointed because if you ask yourself, how much progress have I made as a child of God? Am I a better disciple of Christ today than I was yesterday or last week or last month? Right? The answer to these questions can sometimes be disheartening. And that's because even though we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we often find it so difficult to live by grace because that doesn't come naturally to us. Romans 8, verse 1, has got to be one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No condemnation. And yet our conscience accuses us, as we confess in the Catechism, that we grievously sin against the Lord every day of our lives. There's no condemnation, and yet we're not where we want to be, are we? And this was the struggle of the Apostle Paul too. And it might be of some comfort to you, brothers and sisters, that this great Apostle struggled with the same things that we do. This very paradox that is in our lives as well. There's no question, no question that Romans 8 is one of the greatest highlights in Scripture. This chapter begins with no condemnation from the wrath of God. It ends with no separation from the love of God. It's one of the central passages in Scripture that teaches us about what it means to be in Christ, to live in the Spirit of Christ. But then the question is, how does this relate to the things that we read in Romans 7? That's the great paradox of the Christian life, isn't it? How can there be no condemnation for someone who doesn't do what he wants to do and does what he doesn't want to do? How does that fit into Romans 8 verse 1? So how do we live out of Romans 8 in a Romans 7 world? Well, it's by faith in Christ alone, brothers and sisters. And notice how the chapter begins, chapter 8. Therefore, there is, or there is therefore. Right? And if you see that word therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. You need to pay attention. Paul is making a great declaration here of what he's already said, in light of what he's already said. We can paraphrase it like this. Therefore, in light of what I've written, and in light of what I've said in the previous chapters, this is what you need to know. And what is it that you need to know? You need to know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He gets right down into the very deepest depths of the grace of God here. And then we have to be clear about one thing. There's no contradiction between chapter 8 and chapter 7. There's no contradiction between 7 verse 24 and 8 verse 1. 7 verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
Now, some people say, some commentators say that what Paul is talking about here is his unconverted condition in chapter 7. Their argument is that only an unconverted person would say, what a wretched man I am. But if we really think about that, can that really be true? Can an unconverted person say this of him or herself? Will an unconverted person admit his or her own wretchedness before God? And the answer is no. Because the unconverted person thinks he doesn't need to be converted. The unconverted thinks that the bad people, well, those are the ones in jail. Right? The bad person, that's my co-worker that I can't get along with. But me, I don't need to be saved. What do I need to be saved from? That's how the unconverted speaks. But the fact is that it is only when we know and believe, Romans 8 verse 1, that we can also say, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. It is only when we understand 8 verse 1 that we can really understand 7 verse 24. We're not capable of going by nature from 7 verse 24 to 8 verse 1. It is only by grace that we can understand that. It's only by grace that we believe 8 verse 1 and then we can understand 7 verse 24. It is grace that opens our eyes to our own wretchedness. It is God's grace and His grace alone that makes us realize how badly we need a Messiah, a Savior. And that the only way to be freed from our wretched condition is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. To believe in the Son of God who came down from heaven, who set aside His glory and became a servant in the form of a man to suffer, to die for people like you and I. And that's why 8 verse 1 is so important. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's, that's the gospel in a nutshell. That's the amazing gospel. And the reason it's so amazing is, given what I know about myself, how is that possible? And given what God knows about me, how is this possible? I mean, the good that I want to do, I don't do it. And the bad things that I really know I don't want to do, I do them, I do them anyway. What hope is there for someone like that? How do we get out of that mess? Because truth be told, when I wake up in the morning, and before I even swing my feet out of bed and put them on the floor, I'm already in Romans 7. But then there's Romans 8 verse 1 right there along beside it. Romans 8 verse 1 is like a good strong cup of coffee in a Romans 7 world, right? We all wrestle with this paradox, with this seemingly impossible contradiction. We know the accusations of our own conscience. We, we recognize the insinuations of the evil one. Who do you think you are? That God would love you? You're not good enough. For God to take you into heaven, who, are you, who do you think you're kidding anyway? Right? We recognize this, this paradox that's contained in this. And now some people also say that the law itself is the problem. And Paul talks about that in Romans 7. And then they will, they will say that what Paul is really saying is that we have to get rid of the law and live by the Spirit instead. But that's, that's a false dilemma and that's a very superficial way of reading Scripture. 
Because Romans 7 verse 12 makes it very clear that the law is not the problem. The law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good, writes Paul. So what's the problem? The problem is sin. It is sin that deceives us. Sin seduces us. It deceives us into thinking that what sin is, is okay. And it deceives us into thinking that the pleasures of sin are good for us. That they will satisfy us. That this will satisfy us. Or that will satisfy us. Or this or that will make us feel good. Will fulfill our desires. And, and sin is so deceitful that it even tells us that once we go down the road of sin, you know, it, it will be good and, and we can even avoid the consequences. That's how deceitful sin is. But then you get to the end of the road and you run smack into the consequences and there's no airbag to cushion the blow. That's how seductive sin is. And that's how it deceives us into heading down a road that leads to destruction. And so the problem is not the law, but the problem is sin. Sin that dwells in our hearts. But then, again, there's Romans 8, verse 1, that tells us that when sin is dealt with in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. Our conscience may accuse us. The law may accuse us. And you can just imagine Satan accusing us too, just like he did when he accused Job. Right? Just look at them Christians. Look at what he did last week. Look what she did yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. Sometimes we're up to our necks in the swamp of sin. And we have a criminal record as long as our arm... But the amazing thing is that when we are in Christ, this is not what God looks at. The amazing thing is that that's not the information that comes up on the heavenly database when your name is typed in. You see, the, the Lord knows all of it, of course. He knows everything that you've ever done. And all of your sins. Even the ones that you don't dare to tell anybody else. And He knows what you did yesterday and the day before and the day before. But that doesn't tell the whole story when you are in Christ Jesus. You see, what matters most to the Lord for His own sake is not your record of sin, but Christ's record of obedience for you. That's grace. That's what grace is. That God looks through, at you through Christ's record of obedience for you. That is who God is for you in Christ. In Isaiah 43, verse 25, the Lord says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The law and the conscience tell us that we're weak. We have failed. We're guilty. With Paul, we say, I am a wretched sinner. Yes, I am weak. I have failed. I am guilty. But then we also say, the gospel tells me that I am saved. The gospel tells me that in Christ I am righteous. That in Christ I am holy. That in Christ I am sanctified. That in Christ I am loved by my Father in heaven. 
And how does that work? And when? When does it work? When is this gospel a reality, congregation? Is it something we just hope for? Is it something that we think that'll, that'll be the future? Something we will reach in the future? Well, then look again at verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1. And notice how it's in the present tense. There is therefore now, now, no condemnation. That's such an important word, that little word now. Because that's not a future, it's not about a future possibility, but it's a present reality. It's a present certainty based on the reality of Christ's death, of Christ's atoning sacrifice. It's nothing else than that. Paul proclaimed this truth already in in chapter 5, verse 1, where we have another great therefore in the book of Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have, again, present tense, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We stand in this grace. Present tense. And if not in this grace, then where would we stand? Because if we did not stand in grace, we would stand in condemnation. If we are not justified, if we're not declared righteous on the strength of Christ's atoning work, then we are condemned. There's no safe middle ground. There is no middle ground. Apart from Christ, the Bible says, we all find ourselves on death row from the get-go, because the Bible says, in Adam all sinned, and in Adam all die. Our first parent brought down the wrath of God upon the entire human race, of which we are part of. We are caught up in Him, who is the head of the human race. But that's where we're at, apart from Christ. The reality of condemnation is not in question. But the present experience of the believer who is in Jesus Christ is not in question either, brothers and sisters. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And notice how Paul continues to use the present tense in the rest of chapter 8. Also in chapter 7 already, right? I don't do the good I want to do. The evil I do, want to, do not want to do is what I do. I keep on doing that because sin still dwells in me. Present tense, but there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Present tense, no condemnation today for those who believe. And then he goes on to write verse 2, that if you are in Christ, the spirit of life has set you free. Present tense, from the law of sin and death. And then verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then you are, present tense, alive through the Spirit who dwells in you. And then there are those well-known words at the end of chapter 8, that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. No tribulation, no distress, no persecution, no height, no depth, no demons. In fact, Paul writes, in all these things we are, Again, present tense. More than conquerors through Him who loved us. This is the present reality 
of anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this present reality is wonderfully displayed and illustrated in the life of that one sinner who was hanging beside Jesus on a cross, and he repented. Remember what he asked the Lord Jesus? He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It was like asking, Lord, please think of me. Somewhere along the line, when, when your work is done, when, you, when your kingdom comes, when you enter into your kingdom, please think about me. And the Lord Jesus gave him a wonderful answer, didn't he? He gave him an answer that was even better than he expected. He said, today, today you will be with me in paradise. So the reality of what happens in the life of a sinner who turns in faith and repentance to the Lord Jesus is a present reality. When we are born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, this is a secure hope. It's a certain hope, writes Peter. Not the kind of hope that says, I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow. But our hope is sure and certain. Why? Because God has given us this promise made on our behalf Christ's life for our life. Christ's life for our life, His obedience for our rebellion, His suffering for our eternal hope. He was rejected by His Father for our security as sons and daughters and heirs with Christ. Sons and daughters of God and heirs with Christ. And so we can be confident, brothers and sisters, that we are just as secure in God's love as the saints who are in heaven. Their position is our position. Right? Because there is no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ. And that's true for the saints in heaven. But that's just as true for us. Elsewhere, Scripture says, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. And this is how the Apostle Paul writes his letters to all the believers, to those, to the Corinthians, the saints in Christ, to the Philippians who are in Christ, to the brothers and sisters in Elora who are in Christ. And of course, it's true that one day we will no longer be here. If we die before the Lord Jesus comes, then we will be free from this life and we will be with the Lord Jesus, free from temptation, free from sin. But today we live on this side of eternity, bombarded by temptation and living constantly with the possibility to sin and the effects of sin. And the law which is pure and perfect and holy and the commandments which are righteous, they show me that I'm constantly out of line The law continues to condemn me if it stands on its own. And if we're not careful, if we forget what it means to be in Jesus Christ, then we will be tempted to live as if the law is all that's there. If we forget about what it means to be in Jesus Christ, we will will be tempted to beat the law at its own game, so to speak, just trying harder and harder to win the game before the final whistle blows. But that's not how grace works. To understand grace means we have an answer for the evil one. We have an answer for our conscience when we hear these accusations. 
To understand grace means that we recognize ourselves to be weak and sinful and failing and guilty. And the gospel tells us that we're not condemned when we are in Christ. The gospel doesn't tell us we can still try to win the game, even if we're down 10 nothing, and try win in the last minute. But the gospel tells us that right until your last breath, you can rely on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the wonder of grace. The wonder of grace is that a wretched creature like me is not condemned because of Jesus Christ. And we are no longer separated from his love. That is in Christ Jesus. That's grace. And of course someone will say, and Paul deals with this accusation as well, well that's just too easy. That's just way too simple. I mean after all if that's true we can just believe that. and We don't have to worry so much about how we live, right? It's all grace anyway. Well, of course that's not true. If you keep on reading in Romans, letter of Romans, then you will find out how Paul works this out. But he already wrote that in chapter 6, verse 1. This doctrine does not give us a license to sin so that grace may abound. And of course it's true. Grace is too good to be true. I mean, humanly speaking, we could say no human mind could ever have come up with such an awesome idea, such a fantastic thing as the gospel. That's a divine idea. And so humanly speaking, of course, the gospel is too good to be true. Because if you really understand the gospel, the doctrine of grace, the doctrine of justification by faith in Christ, it would be right to say it's too good to be true. But that doesn't make it any less true. And the wonderful thing is that it's still true. But then we must never forget that that truth includes the fact that all that Christ has done for us is of no value if we do not believe in him. And all that God does for us in Christ is of no value if we remain outside of Christ. And that's why it's so important to know who we are. It's so important to be absolutely aware of your own identity in Jesus Christ. You need to know who you are. Because that identity forms your character and your life. And if you don't understand your identity, that you are in Christ, well, then the law just becomes a call to moral living. Right? If you don't understand that you are in Christ, then every, every call from, from the pulpit to submit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ is just going to feel like a call to external obedience. If I am not in Jesus Christ, then the call of the gospel just feels like another call to fix my own problems. Another attempt to try and improve my position. Another attempt to win the game in the last minute. But if you understand, I am in Christ Jesus, that changes everything. It changes everything. And of course that doesn't mean that our sins from last week and the week before don't count or don't mean anything but when you are in Christ you are under God's grace and when you are under God's grace your sinful record is erased 
and you stand before God on the basis of Christ's record. I think one of the, th- one of the things that we find so difficult about this and about the, this kind of struggle in, this, in our lives as Christians living under grace is that we, we tend to focus on our own record much more than what we focus on Christ's record for us. And we might wonder how often is the Lord willing to forgive me because this past week I sinned again 70 times, 7 times. How often is the Lord willing to forgive me? I can't imagine that he'll forgive me again because I deliberately did something that I know I shouldn't have done. And I've been doing it throughout my life many times over and over. But brothers and sisters, God does not forgive you on the basis of your progress God does not forgive on the basis of how well you're getting over your sinful habits. Because if that was the basis of forgiveness, no one would ever be forgiven. God forgives only on the basis of His grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. On the basis of Christ's perfection. On the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. And yes, the Bible tells us we need to repent. Absolutely, that's necessary. Repentance is necessary. But often it's our lack of repentance. That's the reason why we're stuck in our bad habits. You see, one of the sinful problems, and that's what Romans 7 is all about, sinful problems that remains in our life, that redeemed Christians also don't repent as well as they should. Right? We're sorry, but never sorry enough. We're sorry, or maybe we're sorry for the wrong reasons. Our repentance is never deep enough. If God forgave us on the basis of the purity of our repentance, He would not forgive us, would He? But He forgives us on the basis of the purity of Christ's work. Not on the basis of your work of repentance. And so it's true that even though our repentance is partial and spotty, because that's all it can be, God still forgives. And if you are in Christ, He is not going to cast you out of His presence. After all, you never earned your salvation in the first place either. And so if you are in Christ, you can't unearn it. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the whole point of Paul's argument in Romans chapter 7. And therefore, even though we find ourselves living in a Romans 7 reality, we should not question our relationship with the Lord. We shouldn't be thinking to ourselves, the Lord is keeping a record of my sins, and I wonder when he's going to reach the limit. Because if there's a limit, that means there's a limit to God's grace. And we know from the Bible that there is no limit to God's grace. There is no limit to His steadfast love. There is no limit to His mercy. If there was a limit to His grace and mercy, there would be no forgiveness for anyone. So instead of doubting whether or not God is willing to forgive, we should be asking ourselves, what's wrong with my repentance? 
What's wrong with the level of my repentance? How can I improve on living a life of repentance? You see, the limitlessness of God's grace and mercy, that is what should motivate us. That's what should motivate us to live a life of repentance. And so, when you are in Christ Jesus, then you don't have to be despondent about moving forward. Like Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. That's what we need to hang on to, brothers and sisters. So going forward by God's grace, we who are disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to keep on looking for places in our lives that we have not yet surrendered to the Lord Jesus. Keep on looking for corners in your life that you have not yet submitted to the Lord's will because there are still so many places in our lives that where we allow the enemy to have a foothold we give ground to him so what do we do by by God's grace we come before him and humbly ask him to help us and God never says no to prayers like that brothers and sisters because That's what he commands us to ask for. The problem of Romans 7 is a reality every day. The problem of sin never goes away. But the Lord's mercies are also new every morning again, aren't they? And that's what we need to remember. So that's how, by faith in Christ, we can live Romans 8 in a Romans 7 reality. Amen.